welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute, also housed on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm Ryan Aris, and I am back in studio, connecting live with Dr. Joe Boot. It's good to uh, good to be together. We had a uh, bit of a recess last week. There was some uh, some travel and uh, other commitments going on for both of us. But uh, you and uh, you and Andrew Sandlin uh, pulled it out uh, just fine. But we're uh, it was we're a good back. Show. It, it was a good show. I was. Uh, I was surprised that uh, that we hadn't uh, hadn't shared that earlier, but uh, it was good mm-hmm. to uh, good to have it. Um, so before we uh, before we get in, and today uh, we're uh, we are back, we are back within our series on the Ten Commandments, but we are not directly addressing uh, one of the commandments. We will get to that uh, shortly in the weeks to come. Uh, today our subject is uh, penology. Uh, that's the uh, the doctrine, the teaching, uh, and the uh, the treatment of uh, crime and punishment. And this is a uh, this is a chapter that Joe, you've uh, you've written about in your book, uh, The Mission of God. And before we dive into our subject, uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping announcements. Uh, first of all. Uh, many of you will know that we have been working to uh, to establish a presence for an American office as well as a UK office. But our American office, uh, things have progressed to the point. We're very pleased to say that we're now able to issue a tax receipt for American donors. So if you have been uh, interested in supporting uh, the Institute, if you have been supporting the Institute already, thank you very much. We're very grateful for that. Uh, now, uh, you can make your donation, same as ever, on the Ezra Institute website. It's ezrainstitute.com, and we'll be able to issue you a, uh, a charitable uh, receipt for those, uh, for those donations. We really appreciate your support, and thank you, uh, thank you for it. The other, uh, the other announcement, uh, speaking of books by Joe Boot, Joe, you've, uh, you've just brought out and... Uh, Oh, I don't even have one. I think you have one there with you. Hold it up there. A new, uh, a new short booklet. It is called "For Reformational Thinking." It's the next, uh, next in our ongoing uh, monograph series. Thank you. There it is. That's a, uh, that's a good cover. sits it sits in well with the rest of the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wave it around there a little. Good. <laughs> um, all right. For yeah, for reformational thinking. Uh, Joe, maybe before we before we start this episode, tell us a couple of words about uh, about this book. Yeah, so it's a um, it's a sixty page um, uh, short book. So this is something that both doesn't uh, uh, damage the the wallet too much and um, mm-hmm. uh, is not so uh, taxing as say picking up, um, which I hope people will do. Uh, Mission of God at seven hundred pages. Um, this is 60 pages, and um, what I'm doing in uh, this this booklet is talking about the the foundations of the Christian mind. What is it that we are really trying to do? What are we really trying to develop when we talk about reformational thinking? What does it really mean to have 
a Christian mind. So um, it just consists of um, three chapters. And uh, in particular, I address the uh, overwhelming challenge, I think, uh, facing the contemporary church uh, in this area of developing a Christian mind. And that is the way in which the thinking of pagan philosophers uh, has um, continued to have an abiding influence on the way we think about our life in the world and a tendency to divide mm -hmm. up that life in the world into an upper and a lower story in which the upper story is that much more important. Um, so we look at what, what it really means to, to think as a Christian in humble submission to Christ and to his word, what makes reformational thinking distinct in that regard, and then what is one of the biggest challenges in developing an undivided heart. So the subtitle of the book is actually for reformational thinking, developing an undivided heart. What does it mean for us to have a unified, comprehensive uh, uh, vision of the Christian life, to develop a Christian mind that's not divided, is not sort of intellectually schizophrenic um, mm -hmm. between a kind of secular uh, outlook where we've sprinkled Christianity as the condiment on top. Right. This is a, uh, I know that yeah, speaking personally, this is something that took me a while to, uh, for the penny to drop on this, uh, on this front. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I studied a lot of, uh, medieval philosophy in school and a lot of rationalistic philosophy and, that uh, so that would that needed to be sort of uh, rearranged in my own thinking so that uh, this is a mm. for for some for some uh they'll you'll read this and think of course uh for some others it's a you know, it's a bit of a a bit of a renovation project that uh, that needs to go on in your thinking so i was uh, i was excited to uh to bring this out uh, just on a uh, on a personal note there so that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's for reformational thinking, developing an undivided heart. Uh, Joe Boots, the author, and you can get that at EzraPress.com. And it's uh, as you mentioned, it, it's not expensive. It's also available uh, in an ebook format. Yeah, and maybe yeah. a um, maybe a uh, a reminder too, as we think about those sort of resourcing opportunities that. Uh, um, we want to really encourage our friends in the States in particular uh, regarding our Worldview Leadership Academy opportunity, Ryan. Perhaps you can tell mm. um, our uh, our friends in the US um, a bit about that um, and uh, how they can get uh, their young people signed up to have a, a reformational mind. That's right. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good reminder. So uh, we have been doing for several years... Uh, and under a couple of different titles, a uh, but it, it is a week-long worldview training program in uh, developing a comprehensive Christian mind, Christian approach to thinking and seeing the world, and uh, which obviously af affects uh, how we live and act in the world. But it's it's a week-long program for teenagers, uh, 14, 15, up to 18. And uh, this year, for the first time, we're very pleased to be offering that uh, in the U.S. And that's, uh, that's going to be happening in Huntsville, Alabama. And you can find out more of that if you visit our, uh, more about that, if you visit our website, 
all of the information is is available about the uh, the lecturers, the program. Uh, Joe will be uh, one of our lecturers as well as several of our other fellows. And that uh, that's a that's a program that we've run several times uh, to uh, to a lot of uh, a lot of positive reviews, positive feedback uh, here in Canada. And as we as we look to uh, to make a footprint in the states, uh, we're excited to be offering this program there as well. Yeah, and we're glad for the the partnership of Bryan College in that as well. Um, oh yes, yeah. Thanks uh, for uh, yeah. The... yeah, actually, well, you're you, you're better at explaining these things than me, Ryan. So why don't you uh, why don't you uh, help us with that? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm here to uh, to give. I don't know, put some skin on this admin speak. Um, so we have, uh, we're, we're very pleased. Thanks for reminding me, Joe. Uh, we've got a, a relationship with Bryan College. Uh, Bryan College is a Christian liberal arts university in Dayton, Tennessee. And for any student who wants to uh, attend the, the Worldview Leadership Academy, Bryan College is offering uh, the opportunity for uh, scholarship and scholarship funding for Bryan College courses, as well as transfer credit. So you can uh, you can spend some time at uh, the Worldview Leadership Academy, and uh, if current or future uh, Bryan College students can use that time apply that time towards course credit, uh, towards your, your Brian degree. So that is, uh, that is brian.edu. And you can go there, you can uh, connect with them, or you can, uh, you can reach out to us directly here as well. And we can uh, help answer some questions about uh, applying and receiving uh, course credit and scholarship funding uh, for Worldview Leadership Academy and Brian College degree programs. Yeah, and it's so a very, was... very generous scholarship offer that uh, they've developed. So it's uh, we're really thankful for that partnership with Brian. Absolutely, yeah, they're uh, they're doing good work. Uh, we've got uh, some of our, our own uh, our own administrative board have got uh, got family there. Mm -hmm. So we it's it's not uh, this is not just a token partnership. We've <laughs> we're very pleased with the uh, the things that uh, that Brian is doing. Yes, indeed. All right. So we've uh, we've kept you kept you waiting long enough. Let us uh, let us embark on today's topic. Uh, as I mentioned, that's uh, that's the subject of penology, uh, which uh, the treatment of crime and punishment and law. And this fits. Uh, I guess this this kind of comes as a necessary consequence of talking about the Ten Commandments. And Joe, as I was uh, as I was preparing for this episode, I I noticed, and I'm not sure why I had never thought of this before, but you read through uh, the Ten Commandments, that section on its own, and it's interesting to realize that there are no penalties uh, mentioned in that section of Scripture. There are there are promises, uh, there are prohibitions, but uh, throughout uh, throughout that section on the Ten Commandments. There are, there are no specific sanctions, uh, which is a, 
a kind of a necessary uh, necessary component of any law. You know, you say you give me give somebody any kind of law, uh, any kind of you shall not. So you you shall not steal. Well, or else what? How how are you? What are you? Uh, what are you going to do? What's the what's the penalty if someone does steal? Uh, so we're here. We're here to talk about talk about that. Uh, obviously, throughout uh, the rest of the case laws, there are specific penalties, and they're suited to specific crimes. But maybe uh, maybe we can start there uh, as you as we read through uh, some of the some of the case laws, some of the penalties that we see in scripture. Uh, to a, to the modern ear, they seem they can seem harsh. They could seem archaic. They could seem uh, kind of un, uh, not not necessarily suited uh, to the crime as we understand it uh, to a, to our modern sensibilities. Uh, maybe you can start just by is is there a reason why we have uh, or why we should be mindful of uh, biblical penalties for for some of these uh, these sins and crimes, and how do, how do they obtain, or what role do they play in contemporary society? Well, the reason uh, that uh, we need to 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 grasp this subject matter is that actually we we can't even really begin to distinguish between. Um, crime and punishment, uh, understand the issue adequately, um, unless we have a, a, a benchmark um, within the law, uh, unless we have a, a standard, we might say, you know, the question for all Christians is by what standard when we come mm-hmm. to uh, the question of, of punishment. Now, you very uh, appropriately, I think, uh, mentioned that if law does not come with any sanction, uh, blessings or cursings, uh, then it isn't really law at all. It's suggestions, guidance, um, you know, advice, but it's mm-hmm. not law. So whilst the validity of law is not dependent on the political authority that enforces it, um, the the application the 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 social value of law very much is so uh, there is a big difference between a uh, a sign for example on the motorway um telling you to uh, be careful you know a digital sign flashing up to, saying to you to be careful because the road is slippery there's surface water or ice for example um and uh, a police officer pulling you over to the side of the road and fining you or, or um, giving you um, penalty points on your license um, because you have been speeding. So the, the, there's the difference right there just in the area of, of highways between what we could call advice, like, you know, slow down, um, mm. be careful, there's surface water, uh, to, or, you know, slow down, high winds, high-sided vehicles, et cetera, uh, to an actual penalty being applied for a violation of law. 
So we don't really have an adequate concept. We don't even actually have a concept of law, really, without the notion of sanction. Um, we just have advice, guidance, suggestions. You know, law is not a suggestion box. God's law is not a suggestion box. Um, these are God's commands. And um, the some of the law, some of God's law is... Uh, the sanctions are applied by God himself. In fact, we could say that uh, both directly and indirectly, all of God's law is enforced by God because indirectly he does so through political authority. Ultimately, he does so at the last judgment. Um, mm -hmm. So in terms of the absolute finality, there's a dual application there of, of God's law. There is the temporal social um, implication um, where human uh, courts and, and justices are required to um, implement God's law. And then, of course, there is the last judgment. So there's a dual application. But the essence of law, um, central to its, um, its social utility, uh, is in the penalty and the sanctions that are applied by the relevant uh, political authority. Otherwise, um, we have reduced law to a suggestion box. So sanction is vitally important. Um, and although, as I say, the law's validity is not dependent on the political authority that uh, is required to enforce it, the, the, the political authority is not the source of law. It is obligated to apply um, law in order for it to have the positive function of law uh in in human society and human social relationships now very quickly you mentioned the decalogue so we have the 10 commandments and you rightly note that there are no penalties uh discussed no no social civil penalties discussed um in uh, th that uh, the passage there in exodus 20 um that's because they, those are the standing principles. Uh, the, the, that's the standing law. Uh, those are the overarching principles that cover a multiplicity of different areas. And the, these now need to be applied or positivized in the particular environment. Um, in, in the case of um, Israel, in the Israelite situation, there's a requirement, of course, upon from a Christian point of view, upon us to, uh, uh, in our own societies, positive to positivize God's law in the contemporary moment. And perhaps we'll come to a discussion of of uh, the principle or the equity, the general equity of of, of God's law for those circumstances. Um, but uh, the, yes, the Ten Commandments represent the standing principles, the standing law. And then we have minimal cases detailed throughout scripture, which are then applying, positivizing uh, those laws where we find um, God instituting um, penalties or sanctions uh, for violation of his law. Right. Joe, one of the things that uh, that you've made a point to say repeatedly uh, in different places is that uh, that law is a value processing system that it uh, that our our sanctions our laws are 
inescapably uh, religious in character. And so I guess uh, broadly, broadly speaking, or in summary, we, you know, we punish with our strictest laws, with our strictest penalties, the things that, that we find most abhorrent. Uh, can you, can you just, uh, can you flesh that, that principle out and maybe, maybe give some mm-hmm. examples of how that, uh, how we see that for good and for bad? Yes. So the, the primary, uh, the primary principle, um, uh, around penology, of course, which we will come to is tribution or retribution. Uh, mm. God's concern is with justice. Um, so the focus of God's law is not um, rehabilitation or some other subsequent um, uh, possible ramification of the application of law. The, the principal issue is tribution, to give uh, somebody their due. Um, uh, scripture uh, deals with what we call the lex talionis, the, the law of, of uh, retaliation, the law of retribution. Um, the, uh, the, the punishment must fit the crime. That, that's all that mm-hmm. basically means. The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth principle um, is not, you know, if you hurt my eye, I poke your eye out, um, uh, or you knock my tooth out, I knock your tooth out. The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth principle um, is that the, the punishment must fit the crime. That's what that, that picture or that metaphor involves, um, that uh, there must be just recompense, just retribution. Now, uh, because that is the focus, um, that justice is the focus, that just recompense is the focus of God's law, uh, and um, the, uh, the goal um, ultimately is the realization of God's righteousness or justice, law then becomes a teaching device. So there is a uh, a pedagogical um, uh, implication to the law. So although the law's primary goal is the realization of justice, one of the the um, other implications of of God's law, um, one of the um, uh, subsequent or subsidiary aims of the law is to teach, and actually. Um, the word Torah literally means instruction. Mm-hmm. So it is it is teaching. Um, and uh, we know that, um, you know, if we take an illustration from family life, you know, parental discipline uh, that the writer of Hebrews talks about and parental punishments um, are training in righteousness. So I think it's um, Hebrews 12 that speaks about um uh, the Lord disciplining those he loves. And then there's an illustration that, that the writer gives from family life that um, the the sanctions, the discipline that God imposes through the law, through sanctions, um, are teaching us righteousness. So there is a pedagogical um, a principle that is at work uh, uh, in the law of God uh, as God's Torah, as his instruction, it reminds us that we are in structure and that uh, there are implications for us for being within structure and, in, and, and under law to God. Now, um, in particular, you've helpfully mentioned that 
when you look at the sanctions, when we talk about penology, which is the particular punishments associated with particular uh, crimes, um, the the severity of the penalty illustrates the value of the precept. So, uh, you know, to give an example, let's go go back to a very simple one that uh, I mentioned earlier. If we go back to traffic law, for example, let's say that the, the penalty for speeding, let's say you're doing 130 kilometers in a 100 kilometer uh, speed limit, or um, for our um, British listeners, I think it's MPH in America as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. You're, you're doing a, a 100 miles per hour in a 70 miles per hour zone. Uh, if the penalty for that was not a, a stiff fine and possibly demerit points, points against your license, but was in fact the death penalty, uh, what would that be teaching people about the relative value of the flow of traffic, of traffic law, um, of um, highway safety um, in that particular country. Uh, so whereas if, for example, the penalty in the same country for rape was a $50 fine, that would be teaching you something about the value of women. It would be teaching right. you something about the value of the family. Uh, it would be teaching you something about um, how that culture viewed violence and in particular sexual violence. So you can see how it's what is at stake with law. And often as Christians, we do get this wrong. I think we get it badly wrong, is that God is not just issuing us, um, as I said earlier, um, a suggestion box in his law. Uh, these are not just principles that it would be a good idea to live by uh, that will be for your blessing. Of course, they are for our blessing and they are good for us. Um, but the the law um, inherent in the idea of law is sanction and it teaching us specific values, uh, teaching us what God values and what is important to God um, within human society. And so um, biblical law is a value processing system. That is, it is a teaching device, teaching us values. And the more severely God uh, views something, the more, the more serious a sanction attached to a given law, the more we're learning about the character and nature of God and the more we're learning about what God values for human society, the institutions that he values, the structures, the people that he values, the life that he values. Um, and so when we, um, when as Christians, we tend, you know, tend to have a, uh, we, we have a tendency to reduce law, God's law to perhaps just some general guidance about the way God might prefer us to live. Um, we're actually missing something, um, very important. Uh, it's much more than that. We cannot grasp the import, the significance of God's law without taking account of the penalties within God's law, because that is pr processing the values for us. It's showing us what is most significant, most serious, uh, most to be protected uh, in, in God's order. 
that leads us to an important distinction, Ryan, between sin and crime. So yes. as Christians, yes. you know, again, um, we, of course, recognize the seriousness of sin. Now, God does judge all sin, and ultimately, um, the sin of all people will be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will either stand before God uh, in Christ as his redeemed people, uh, those cleansed and washed by the blood of Christ, having his righteousness been imputed to us because of the cross, um, we will stand before the judgment for our sin in his righteousness and therefore be acquitted, justified, um, or we will uh, stand before Christ without um, having embraced the redemptive and atoning work of Christ and therefore um, outside of Christ and having to bear the eternal consequences of those sins. Now, sin... Uh, is uh, therefore all of it is brought into judgment by God. But God does not require the civil authority, the civil magistrate, to bring all sin into judgment. And this is, again, why um, an understanding of biblical penology is so important. Covetousness is a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But there is no civil penalty for covetousness. Um, God judges and deals with covetousness in our hearts. But the, the, the civil authority, the magistrate, uh, is not required to punish the sin of covetousness. Um, in other words, the sin of covetousness is not a crime. So we would not actually know the difference between sin and crime if it weren't for biblical law. How do we know which sins are actually crimes? How do we know when a punishment is actually a crime? Hence, how would we even know the difference between crime and punishment without mm. um, God's, God's law? There can be vicious, tyrannical um, punishments, arbitrary punishments for things that are in fact criminal, where the state is acting criminally and is inventing right. sins right. and inventing crimes that, uh, that do yeah. not exist, um, that are in fact not a violation of God's law. So it really becomes a choice between man's law, man's tyranny, man's human law, and his arbitrariness, or God's law. Now, when you look back at the history of penology, um, we see that, uh, you know, the question that you mentioned of, you know, is, um, is biblical law harsh? Well, even back in the time of, of a man like William Wilberforce, um, in the 18th century, in a Christianized culture, there were over a hundred uh, crimes which um, could attract the death penalty. I mean, mm. you think about that. In the time before Oliver Cromwell, before Oliver Cromwell's um, uh, revision, um, I believe with John Owen actually, uh, uh, of, um, the, of, of criminal law and of public law towards a biblical standard, there were over 300 crimes that attracted the death penalty. You think about the United States, for example, and um, the early days of the West uh, in America. You could be hung mm. for cattle theft or horse theft, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which is not the biblical requirement of restitution. That goes well beyond the restoration um, of the horse. Now, you could see in a context, perhaps in the desert, if your horses were stolen and you were left without water, uh, and the person was was died. You could see how a capital crime might have been committed there, but but it was much broader than that. 
And so actually, even in our recent history in the West, we've had revisions of the law where there were tenfold, uh, 30-fold the number of death penalties um, than there are in the Bible. So we need to be very careful um, when we sort of accuse the Bible of being harsh or, or um, archaic or whatever. Uh, in fact, when you compare it with the history of, of European law, and certainly when you compare it with the history of pagan law, it is gracious and humane mm-hmm. uh, uh, in its, um, in its uh, comparative requirements. Um, and that's why in Deuteronomy 4, God sets forth his law as a model to all of the nations that the other nations will look at Israel and will say, who has a, a God like their God? Who has laws like this God? So just uh, as are seen in Israel, that it would be a model for all the other nations to copy um, and to follow. So, um, yes, law is a value processing system. It is a uh, a pedagogical tool that teaches us values primarily, not just through the precept, because the precept, you shall not murder, is important, but we don't know the value of that precept over against, say, covetousness until we understand the penalty associated with murder at the social civil level over against um, uh, the penalty associated with covetousness, which is basically in God's hands, um, uh, and there is no civil penalty for it. So that would perhaps be a, a simple way of illustrating that. One of the uh, one of the things, as you're talking about the the disconnect between modern modern understanding of penology and a biblical model, uh, is the whole existence of the institution of the the modern penitentiary system. So you've been talking about. Uh, Tribution as giving someone what is their due, and about the biblical model of uh, or the biblical biblical principle of restitution, uh, which is restoring what you sought to uh, to take or destroy, uh, and that uh, that kind of thing has been largely largely done away with in contemporary uh, the contemporary West, where you know, for for theft or for violent crime or for whatever else, whatever other crime, uh, the perpetrator is looking at time spent in prison uh, rather than any kind of positive, uh, positive restitution or, or work to uh, to restore what's been uh, what's been destroyed. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe just just talk about what are, what are the the assumptions and ideological commitments that brought us to this kind of uh this kind of normative uh structure for for crime and punishment Mm -hmm. well first you can see this kind of radical depersonalization uh that is going on there because it really ceases to be an issue of the offender and the victim and rather the offender and the state um yeah and so instead of uh, law uh, punishment uh, being directed towards restitution to the victim, which is what biblical law is concerned with, um, you have instead the humanistic idea of state rehabilitation. Um, in some cases, there may still be some modest requirement of um, 
in 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 certain instances of uh, of fraud, um, of some form of 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 restitution, but it's increasingly rare, um, and um, most victims never see genuine restitution, and most uh, criminals are rarely restored properly to society. Um, so you see a depersonalization, and it's and it's so it's it's now the state or the crown against the perpetrator, um, and it's not really um, this personal confrontation of the the criminal with the victim um, of their crime, and then the necessity of making restitution to that person. Instead, actually, society is punished by the prison system by the penitentiary because it costs over $100,000 a year. That's um, probably double the average salary in Canada um, to to house a, a criminal. Um, mm-hmm. Very often what we would call petty criminals, um, uh, thieves, um, uh, those who have um, committed um, violent offences, but perhaps not grievous violent offences. Um, and we end up housing them in uh, these sort of human warehouses um, at the expense of society, so at the expense of the taxpayer, where mm-hmm. instead of actually making restitution to their victim and restoring um, and making uh, uh, a financial or monetary restitution or some other form of restitution as may be required, uh, they're just learning to be criminals, uh, better criminals um, with other criminals. Um, and so recidivism rates, that is re-offense rates, are absolutely off the charts. I think uh, without uh, yeah. checking, double checking from memory, it's somewhere in the region of 80%. Um, uh, it's staggering, the recidivism rates in modern Western prisons. Now, the penitentiary, which you mentioned, is based on a, a completely flawed humanistic assumption. Um, the idea there, basically, of the Enlightenment was that human beings are a kind of tabula rasa. They're a sort of blank slate um, to be mm-hmm. written on. And if somebody is a criminal, it's because their environment has made them so. So... Um, if you can uh, remove a person from their environment and place them in a different environment, which will be away from the the environment that made them criminal, they can be made penitent, hence the penitentiary, um, and uh, be rehabilitated into society, having been cleansed of that environment and therefore have something new written on them. Um, uh, And that's the humanistic uh, concept, uh, this humanitarian so-called ideal. It hasn't worked. Uh, The prison system has been an abject failure. There's very little question about that. In fact, it's really become an industry now, uh, the prison industry. Um, It doesn't restore criminals. It simply leaves them with a criminal record. It doesn't reintegrate people properly into society after they've paid their dues. It punishes society, not the criminal. Restitution isn't made. And and um, uh, they're housed in an environment where actually they merely learn to be uh, perhaps worse criminals than they were before in many instances. So the Bible doesn't support the prison system. The, the, the prison system um, 
or custody of prison was only temporary custody while you awaited trial. There were no, mm-hmm. there are no, if you look at biblical penology, there are no prison sentences. You might be exiled from your community. Uh, you might be exiled from society. Um, but uh, there were no prison sentences um, and certainly no housing you with other criminals. So there was restitution was to be made in the biblical system. And that was either through financial compensation, some form of corporal punishment, or as uh, we did used to exercise in the West, or if it was a capital offense, it would be through capital punishment. And so mm-hmm. the, the goal was the purging of evil from society and the reintegration of the offender into society when they had properly properly made restitution. Um, And then they weren't hampered with criminal records and these modern notions of um, rehabilitation um, that is no longer the focus you see of of law, is no longer, and of of, um, uh, penology, of crime and punishment is no longer restitution, retribution, um, and restoration. It is um, rehabilitation. And that's because really uh, we tend to see crime as more sickness uh, related to the environment uh, than it is actually a violation of God's law, God's order. Um, and, uh, And as a result, our prison system is a total failure. Right. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a couple of, sort of biblical uh, for, forms of restitution. Uh, and one other one, um, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable to talk about it, uh, this side of the American Civil War. But uh, one other biblical model uh, or biblical uh, option for restitution is that, you know, if I've, if I've offended you or defrauded you, I can be sentenced to go and go to work for you to work off that debt mm-hmm. uh, which and yeah yeah it's script scripture some some translations uh will still call it uh slavery it's not it's not chattel slavery in the the sense that we uh, modern ears are automatically conditioned to think of but uh but it's that same uh same kind of or not the same principle but the same word for a different principle yes yeah, so um, it would be important to say that uh, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, um, man theft, kidnap, and enslavement are punishable by death. Um, that's right. So that's the chattel slavery you're talking about. And so people often get confused there. They think the Bible somehow endorses chattel slavery. It does no such thing. Paul actually uses, the Apostle Paul uses instead, uh, about the Christian life even, the illustration of bond service. Um, yes. And yes, uh one of the possible penalties for um, so uh, unpaid debts, one of the ways this has often been dealt with in the non-Christian world, in fact, um, still is in Russia today, um, uh, largely is in the Islamic world and was for a time in the West, that if you had unpaid debts and you weren't and you were insolvent, um, you could go to a debtor's prison. Well, what exactly is the point of that? Um right. How are you going to pay your debts from prison when you can't work? Um, uh, It's uh, dehumanizing. Um, And it makes no sense whatsoever to throw somebody in in debt into prison. 
So um, one of the things that the scripture looks to is um, uh, somebody working off uh, a debt that they may have. Um, in uh, in another in in the in the case of criminality, if you had committed a crime and the magistrate uh, assigns restitution, um, uh, twofold, fourfold, sevenfold, depending on the nature of the crime, um, or the victim in 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 the case of biblical law assigned um, within the context of the law. So in biblical law, victims had a good deal of say in, in what took place. They didn't have to pursue maximum penalties within the law. They might assign a, um, uh, with the magistrate, uh, a, a financial penalty. The magistrate may assign a financial penalty um, in the event that the, the, the victim was not looking for a harsher penalty. So um, in biblical law, you could work off um, uh, restitution by with a bond service with being assigned work to do and actually this was done in the west um very often mm-hmm. uh, criminals were assigned work duties um and they had to work off um their debt to society their their debt to a particular individual um and i think that would be a very appropriate way forward in dealing with uh, a lot of crime today instead of warehousing and dehumanizing people and depersonalizing them um, and 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 costing society and also raising the rates of recidivism would be to um, assign restitution um, in terms of work so that uh, the compensation for the crime can be met. That is dignifying and then it properly restores the criminal, um, makes good the victim in terms of the particular loss or at least goes some way to doing that and then restores the criminal to to society properly so that is an important uh, um, principle within within biblical law one of the things that uh, that i've read and kind of been, been thinking about as we talk about penology and you you've mentioned it uh, uh, already is the uh, the failure to understand understand ourselves uh, theologically understand our status as lawbreakers in need of someone who will who will pay a penalty for for our lawbreaking to restore us to to a right standing and uh, work our acquittal. Uh, but uh, there, a lot of the, some something that uh, that we talk about r- regularly here is the modern evangelical sense of antagonism between law and gospel uh, with words, uh, words like grace and love being set up as supposedly in opposition to the law. And as we, uh, as we look to uh, wrap up this episode, maybe we, you can just spend some time on the, uh, the nature of that, uh, that so-called conflict. Yeah, that's probably a helpful uh, place to sort of summarize the discussion, because if we want to look for the, the paradigmatic example of um, God's law being um, fulfilled, God's law being honored, uh, God's holiness, his righteousness being regarded, uh, it's in the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um that you know scripture is clear that sin is lawlessness so if we want to know what sin is we have to look to god's law 
Um, and this is where, again, many Christians go wrong. They think, well, you know, that God's law was, was only for Israel. That's not the case. Look at um, uh, Jonah being sent to Nineveh, for example, to the heart of the Assyrian mm -hmm. Empire to call them to repentance. What? In terms of what? In terms of Assyrian law? No, in terms of God's law. Right. The Canaanites were expelled from the land um, in, before Israel. For what? For violation of God's law. Um, Amos uh, prophesies to the surrounding pagan nations in terms of the law of God. Sodom is destroyed for its violation of God's law. These are these are pagan. These are pagan lands. Um, and of course, um, because sin is lawlessness, and it took Christ to the cross, uh, the salvation is only is only offered uh, to lawbreakers. So uh, which law is it, are we talking about? Um, it's offered for violators of, of God's law. So if you, if you are, you know, salvation, redemption only applies to those who are under the law. Uh, so we have to recognize the universal applicability of God's law in this law gospel relationship in order to make sense of the gospel. I mean, without God's law, what is the meaning of grace? Without God's law, what is the meaning of mercy? And without the death penalty in God's law, what is the meaning of the stroke of death that fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, who bore God's wrath, uh, God's uh, wrath for the English um, against, uh, against sin, who, who, who paid the penalty. Now, it's important that we say here and explain here that the penalty that he paid at the cross was for the eternal consequence of our violation of God's law. He paid the penalty of endless separation from God that was due to us. So mm -hmm. um, the wages of sin is death. And, and all sin warrants the death penalty in terms of eternal death, that is eternal separation from God. And it's that penalty that Christ was dealing with at the cross. In other words, what we can't say is that when Christ went to the cross, he did away with the need for magistrates to punish the murderer, or that he did away with the need for me to pay my speeding ticket. Uh, I can't say to the police officer, well, officer, um, I violently assaulted this man, but Christ went to the cross for me, so there is no penalty. You can't arrest me. There's no sanction within the law. No, what Christ dealt with was our standing before God, our eternal relationship to God. That final consequence of sin, Christ dealt with for those who uh, repent and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so when we talk about anybody who wants to set aside God's law in terms of a law grace dualism, uh, who wants to say that somehow there is a, a, a dichotomy here, that there's a dualism here, that there is somehow an incompat incompatibility here between law and grace, they have to say, they have to explain how then the penal sanctions of God's law are fulfilled. How are they brought to fulfillment? How are they completed? How are they honored? How are they upheld in the gospel? Um, and um, I think actually Paul gives us the answer to that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He makes very clear that the commandments of the law and its sanctions 
are uh, upheld in the gospel. He's, he makes clear that, uh, uh, that the, the law was not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Um, yeah. And that this yeah. is in accordance with his gospel. Uh, Paul sees no contradiction there in First Timothy, and I would encourage our readers to read First Timothy chapter one in full to see what um, uh, Paul actually teaches there. But Christ Jesus made clear that he'd not come to abolish the law. He says so in Matthew five, but to mm. fulfill it, to bring it to its completion, to to um, put it into full force. And that's why when, with the Sermon on the Mount. We encounter the the elevation of God's law, even to the motives of our hearts. And that, that's an interesting discussion um, in and of itself, as Jesus deals with things that would be both sinful and, and also crimes um, in, uh, in God's law. So in what sense could we say that the penal sanctions of God's law, then, if we're going to be faithful to, a, to, to Scripture and say it's, it's fulfilled, it's honored, it's upheld, um, some people have said, well, um, the cross of Christ um, uh, upholds the um, uh, penal sanctions and therefore does away with the penal sanctions of God's law. But there's a problem there. We could say, yes, God does bear the penalty. But as I've said, he's bearing the penalty for the eternal sanctions of God's law. He's not doing away with the temporal sanctions of God's law. He's not saying that if you if you repent and come to Christ and you follow me, then you can get away with murder. Mm -hmm. um, so that's inadequate. If we're going to say that it's somehow fulfilled or completed in, some would say, the excommunication uh, requirement in the church, uh, well, that doesn't follow either, does it? Because people in the Older Testament uh, dispensation, the Older Testament, uh, the Older Covenant, could also be excommunicated and exiled um, from the people and would also face eternal judgment where that's made clear in the older testament as well that there's not just temporal but there is eternal judgment and so the notion that um uh simply church excommunication um does away with the penal sanctions wasn't true in the older testament and again it wouldn't be true that if i'm a murderer or a rapist and i commit rape as a church member sure i'm going to be excommunicated but does that mean that the civil penalty uh, to the magistrate is thereby done away? No, of course not. And we can't look either to final judgment and say, well, okay, final judgment is the fulfillment of the penal sanctions because, yes, final judgment is an ultimate sanction for all sin, but the fact that there is a final judgment doesn't do away with human courts of law, doesn't do away with Genesis 9, 5, I think, where if a man sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. Why? Mm -hmm. Because God made man in his image. It's because God is uh, because man is an image bearer of God that if you shed his blood, um, it's so serious that man will act as God's image bearer as judge. So it's not just mm -hmm. the murder itself. Uh, that, well, man is valuable, therefore don't shed his blood. That's true. But it's also that because we are God's image bearers and God is the ultimate judge, God entrusts to men social judgment, social justice, societal justice um, in terms of his law word in human society. 
because he's an image bearer, he's to act as a judge uh, in temporal society. And so when you look at the escape clauses, the attempts to escape God's law and the sanctions of God's law that have been offered at times, you know, what the cross of Christ somehow fulfills it or excommunication fulfills it um, or final judgment fulfills it, they, they don't prove to be adequate or acceptable. And I'm saying this, Ryan, because we usually say, look, um, the the ceremonial aspects or the restorative aspects of God's law are fulfilled clearly um, in Christ. Um, we see them being uh, fulfilled in his priestly office, and in his sacrificial death, in the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. We see the ways very clearly taught in the Bible the ceremonial aspects of the law being fulfilled. Um, we see the way um, the Sabbath is fulfilled uh, in the, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, within the Decalogue. So we see moral law being fulfilled, completed, elevated in the teaching of the Lord Jesus, in the righteous, the elevation of the requirements. Unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see the moral mm -hmm. law being put into force and and fulfilled, reaching its completion. In what way do the penal sanctions then find their completion? No, what uh, we would have to argue is that these things are simply abrogated. Right. That they're just thrown out. That somehow an unchanging God no longer regards murder or rape or kidnap as capital offenses. Now, up until the 1950s in Canada, we regarded rape as a capital offence. What did that teach Canadians pedagogically about the value of women, the value of the family, the sacredness of human sexuality? Taught them a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, um, uh, these things are cheap. You're regarded as uh, very few rapes are ever even prosecuted. Yeah. Um, so it's important that we take the uh the law of god seriously because we cannot make sense of grace and we cannot make sense of justice either in god or in in the what's entrusted to the magistrate uh if we don't take god's law seriously paul in romans 13 makes very clear that the the magistrate is to bear the sword the sword is the symbol of the death penalty mm -hmm. now in biblical law um, uh, the magistrate is given tremendous latitude with the death penalty. The death penalty is considered a maximum sentence uh, for a number of crimes. It's mandatory in the case of first-degree murder. It may well be appropriate to the magistrate in a number of other instances, about 13 or 14 other offences. It may be appropriate. Um but the abolition of the death penalty is absolutely uh, uh, unacceptable to the Christian. The humanistic order, in any case, does not abolish the death penalty. It transfers it from the guilty to the innocent. So we're very happy to murder the unborn in our society. We're very happy to murder the elderly and infirm in the form of so-called euthanasia, uh, medical assistance in dying. What we don't want to do is execute the criminal. Yeah. We, we're happy to kill the innocent and even execute the innocent. We are not uh, prepared to execute the criminal. So when we look biblically at um, the issue of law and grace, 
what we see is that they are bound together, that uh, the grace of God is extended to lawbreakers who have offended God's law word uh, because sin is lawlessness. And um, it's only because of the abiding validity and authority of God's law that we can even speak about grace or we can speak about the cross. And it's only because God takes the death penalty seriously uh, that we can recognize in the cross of Christ God's way of upholding his righteousness and holiness and showing grace and mercy to human beings in terms of the eternal sanction of his law. And we can only recognize grace and mercy in human society as well uh, in the temporal sanctions of God's law when we recognize the, abide, the abiding authority of that law. How can we understand mercy or grace uh, towards victims if we do not take God's penalties towards criminals uh, seriously? Um, how can we recognize justice, righteousness? And these are interchangeable words in the Bible. Um, how can we see a restoration of God's justice? And God's law, by the way, includes the necessity of acts of mercy, grace, kindness, um, charity, a, a sacrificial life. These things are included in the teaching of God's law. Uh, but if we are going to take um, and show mercy to uh, the innocent, um, uh, and see God's order established. How uh, can we do that unless we take biblical penology, uh, God's justice, crime and punishment seriously? Right. Yeah, it's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously talks about uh, the cheapening of grace uh, as we pull the heart out of the, the message of the gospel. Uh, but uh, and what you're describing here is is consistent with that. But what you, it's pretty clear as you're talking about the the penalties or the or the lack of penalties, uh, as we have uh, walked away from the law of God. That this this doesn't just cheapen grace; like it, it makes a nonsense of it. it completely, uh, sh completely shreds the concept. Yeah, cheap grace is one of the big fallouts uh, of antinomianism in the church. And yeah. of, cor of course, widespread criminality, um, as well as a lack of belief in final judgment. And then widespread criminality is the result of antinomianism um, in society. In society and yes. uh, nobody, nobody benefits. So we have cheap grace in the church. And then we have... Um, the really the collapse of law and order in society where we no longer take perjury even um, the, seriously, where, uh, where actually what we teach people is essentially that law, especially God's law, um, really doesn't matter that much. There's in fact, just this week, the news broke that there is a, a serial sex offender in prison in the UK who has now been allowed to receive his lottery winnings um, which were at the time, which was a number of years ago, over seven million pounds, probably worth more like 10 or 15 million pounds now. So we're in a situation where you can be a serial sex offender and instead of facing the death penalty, you can just have your lottery winnings instead. Um, that's where antinomianism actually uh, leads us. 
um, it leads us to the destruction of 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 justice. Um, and uh, instead of the the general equity of God's law being uh, manifest in in uh, in our society, we see the the coddling um, of criminals. Uh, we see the really the the sort of um, enhancing of criminality in in prisons, um, and uh, we see uh, a disdain, an increasing disdain for the law, and an increasing lack of trust in the justice system and in magistrates, um, because people no longer really believe they're going to get justice um, mm-hmm. uh, from from the courts, and that's what happens when we abandon the standards of God's law. Right. Well, that's a uh, that's a good place to leave it. Uh, there is there is a lot at stake. If I can summarize it in a couple of words, uh, if uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, you know, with the abandonment of God's law, Joe, this is uh, this has been a great conversation. Thanks to uh, all of our listeners. I hope that uh, this has been a blessing to you. Remember to apply for the Worldview Leadership Academy in Huntsville, Alabama coming up. And as we leave, I remind you as ever that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory, and we'll be with you again next week.